Um, so I want to keep it small, intimate. Uh, so there, there's other guys here, obviously, who would have a lot of insight to share, even in this room, but wanted to keep it uh, small so there'd be more, like, more flow. They can respond and interact more. Um, since only uh, one person emailed me <laughs> questions, <laughs> we got this open mic right here in case any questions spontaneously arise, ar arises, arise <laughs> in your brain. You can come on up. Um, I'll give you an open mic time. Uh, but uh, I had some pre-prepared questions to start with. We'll start off slow, warm them up, and then we'll see how it goes. So let me open up our time with uh, uh, with prayer. <clears throat> Dear gracious God, uh, you're so good to us. Uh, even just this time here we can spend with each other is good because you are good and you give us good things. Food is good. Fellowship is good. Teaching is good. Um, and, oh God, you are the best. You are the greatest good. Thank you for reminding us of um, what love is and a reminder that we should work with all of our, all of who we are to love you and to love others. Please bless our Q&A time together. Uh, please uh, speak through, through us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> all right. So let's start with some pre-prepared uh, questions that I came up with. So, um, we talked about love, you know, and uh, it's, I think for me, it's relatively easy to understand the idea of love, how it's important for God. God loves us, so then we should love others. But like practicing it, you know, every day it's hard. And I know it's a struggle till the day we die. We try to mortify our sin every day and we won't be free of it completely until we die. But do you have any practical tips on how to just be reminded of loving God and loving others, like any habits or any things that you found helpful to integrate um, love into your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, it's, it's so, uh, so easy to, uh, to forget. Right, um, something we we take for granted. So for me, um, I like short statements that are easy to remember, that kind of um, like kind of scratch you in the right place, you know. Um, at least kind of like my mind, my heart. So just one that that comes to mind that I came across was even um, love, love. You know, even that. Like, what do you love? I love love. And just to meditate on that. Like, do I love love? Is that is that like what I desire and cherish? You know? And and then so then like that just sort of starts a uh um uh, like a rock, like a stone rolling down the hill, you know, it kind of gets my thoughts going. Well, what is love again? You know? And just so that that meditation, you know, like so things like that just kind of help the the meditation, which is really the key, so that your heart is dwelling in the love, and then the love is dwelling in you, and then it it flows out from there. So that would that would be one thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, please explain the picture above us. Oh. Yeah, those are two very cool guys up there. Um, so 
actually Henry Lim, who's a who's really good at photography, he took this this picture. We asked him to take family pictures for us. This must have been a long it's a long time ago. Ten years ago, maybe. I think Noel and Isaiah were like toddlers, right? So maybe nine nine years ago. And so I thought, hey man, like it'd be really cool if we, you and I did like a portrait or something, you know? And so this is what came of that. And then Henry actually just texted me this picture today. So there you go. Yeah, you're welcome. There you go. <laughs> Someone looks really like loving there, but Andre does not. That's why I thought that. Uh... Yeah, maybe we should take that picture down because it's like messing up the mood, you know? <laughs> That's all right. Because it's all serious and stuff. <laughs> Picture's kind of whack. <laughs> that's uh, that's Redlands. Thanks, Gabe. And that's Los Angeles, right? Okay. Um, practical. Um, I would say, at least in terms of selflessness about that and self-sacrifice, uh, cutting away a part of yourself when you consider how to change and what you want to change. That's a practical kind of aspect. Um, and it, that's also a daily diet, a constant uh, thing within family. Someone was even talking about that, even relating to how you answer and how you talk, withholding a little bit of yourself. I think as we age, that's something that we have to constantly be mindful of. But uh, changing every little bit all the time, because we should never cease from changing. And so at least in the family dynamic, in that context, it's a it's a practicing of self-denial, not for that sake, but for the sake that you could see what you do would have an impact of importance for somebody else. And that might be in a small way, like not saying what you typically would say or being silent and listening when instead you're used to just talking. So that's something small and practical. Sir, <clears throat> I don't know what to add with that, right? Um, for me, I mean, I love the fact that we talked about First John today because of the gospel, right? So what helps me whenever I'm not in that moment of willing to love, um, it has to be about what God has done for me. I mean, that was the whole stem of First John, right? So if I remembered that God has graced me, and he's in the room. So then, you know, then I'm put in my place, you know? So so bottom line for me is if, if I'm, I have my mindset on the gospel, how God had graced me, then I know that I need to be gracious in that. So... <clears throat> But, you know, the trick is to be mindful of the gospel in me, so. All right. Thanks, guys. Next question will be more specific. So um, you all are married. I'm married and a lot of married guys here. And even the single guys are potentially looking ahead to being husbands in the future. The question is, how do you, can you speak more about how to love your wife? You know, um, I mean, you alluded to this a little bit, someone, and. Even in, in the Bible, that's a specific relationship that's held very highly. You know, Ephesians 5, love your wife like Christ loves the church. So it's like a special type of love. So can you speak a little bit more about that? And then even practically, 
what has helped you to love your wives like Christ loves the church? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so hard, you know, it, and I think that's the, one of the wonderful things uh, about being married is like it, it humbles you, you know. Um, so, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm still learning. I, I, I can't say like I'm, I'm good at it, you know. Um, but I, I guess I would say that that in itself, in some ways, is the key is to never feel like I'm, I'm there, you know, like there's, there's, I can always love my wife better. And, um, but I, I think a lot of it is, as I, you know, the passage says, like, uh, rejoicing in the truth. So just celebrating, rejoicing the truth of what marriage is, you know, and I think it's the longer you're married, it's so easy to take your wife for granted, you know, and it's just so, I mean, at least for me, it's easy to focus on the faults. It's easy to focus on the wrongdoing. It's easy to focus on the ways we disagree or how she doesn't agree with me, you know, or uh, the ways she gets in the way, in my way, the way she doesn't support me, you know, and it's always like I can kind of get into that frame of thinking as opposed to celebrating um, how she's so good to me. You know, how she's the perfect complement for me. Um, how she, um, like, just the other day, um, she, was, she was at your place with the kids, like, all day. Because I, I work from home, so I'm usually, I'm used to her being around. So just her being away, I was, like, realizing, like, I missed her. And just kind of, like, all all the little things and just the... The companionship and even just the cooking too, you know, and and everything. Um, I think that that's really uh, just kind of. So a lot of it is is it's heart work, you know. Uh, even we were talking about this over lunch. Like the s, what's the essence of sin? Um, when you look at it from Romans one, when it talks about those who suppress the truth. What, what was the net effect of that is they failed to give thanks to God. So, um, so I guess just kind of little things. Like I'm learning to say thank you before every meal that she cooks. You know, before we pray, thank you for preparing this meal, you know, to her. And just those little kind of words of kindness. But it's hard, still learning. Um, what, uh, someone had said was basically what I was going to kind of mention was, uh, you're never going to perfect what you do and how you say and how you approach. So, uh, the attitude of love is you keep going. And so you made a, you may have made a mistake, said something that you should have, but you just keep going, right? And you endure your own foolishness as long as you bring that before the Lord, and then you endeavor to get better, right? There is a uh, an attitude of contentedness, which is good in some ways because the Lord builds that peace in our life, 
but then there can be some things that the world creeps in and you're kind of contented just to do worldly things. And so the challenge there is to love in such a way that you break out of that pattern. And see, it's difficult. These conferences, these reminders kind of help us kind of shatter that in some ways and to refresh again what we should do. So to practice that in loving ways, it means to think on, I want to change in that area and to know I haven't done it perfectly and I'm going to continue to strive to know my wife better. So that I, each wife, each, each lady, each person has their own way in which they prefer to be loved. And that's okay. That's personality based, right? And so you need to endeavor to figure out what that is. Um, and not to mold that love to the way you think that they should be done. So, and that's a continuous process. You just keep going, right? And to dwell upon the past is something which is like that irritability for yourself, right? If you continue to f see your failures or hers or whatever, that can lead to corrosiveness of that love. So, um, and I will say one other thing too about that is that <clears throat> there is a tendency to say that I need to love like this man loves his wife. And to model is good, but then to judge yourself by the way that you don't measure up to that person. That's so hard to do. So you would then begin to try to emulate someone else's love as opposed to doing it the way that the Lord is leading you by your diet of the word and by your own exercise of uh, self-denial and those things. So beware of that, right, in terms of your own spiritual disciplines as you think of that. I double down that. So um, because each wife is very different. So me copying Gary the way that he does it, it might not work because our wives are different. And I just want to emphasize that. Um, you know, the, the right answer, right, is that husband ought to love their wives and sanctify them as Christ died for the church. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. So, but in light of that, all that to say is, I think what these guys already said, it's just, it's not about you, it's about her growth. And if you know her, what do you need to do to help her to grow? I mean, what's her strengths and what's her weakness? And it's, it's an ongoing thing. I mean, and no doubt, you know, I tell guys this too, like the younger guys, the woman I married on the altar is a different woman than she is now because she has grown. So it's constantly changing. Um, but that's the wrestle. That's that's where it is. I need to. I a bottom line maybe to, to maybe sum it up without rambling, is that I need to be able to purify her and and because of that, I need to wrestle where she's at, figure out how best to love her in the way that Christ wants to love her, not so much her. Felt needs, but spiritual needs. So it's, like I said, it's, it's a moving target, which is a good thing. By God's grace, that she would grow, you know? You married wife at the altar, not on it, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boom, boom. Um, 
I mean, so what advice do you have for the single guys in the audience as they're thinking about, um, you know, caring for their sisters in Christ and even thinking about maybe courting someone? Any general advice on how to love, um, you know, their sister in Christ through that process? So they, they are courting? Sure, sure. Maybe, or even like thinking about how to uh, court someone in a God-honoring way um, in the context of, of love. Okay. I mean, you know, it, it, when, when it comes down to it, um, it really is very simple, right? To, to be a loving person, you just need to be a spiritual person. It's very simple in that way, right? Like, if you are a man of God, you love Christ, the love of God is in you, then you're going to be a loving person, you know? And so I would say to those who are single, to that's your pursuit, right? Now, I don't know the single guys here, but a common thing is, you know, just how you use your free time. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you guys are all good, godly men, you know, and when you, when you get home from work, you want to spend time in the word and in fellowship and serving your brothers and sisters at church rather than spending all your time on video games and, uh, things of the world, you know, um, what you do right now as a single, you are investing in your heart, what you will reap during your marriage. And so I was talking to someone at the table here with young kids, and uh, he was sharing, and I, I had the same experience. Like, I, I thought I was a patient person until I had kids, you know? And the, the, question, the issue was, like, did I change? Or did the kids just bring out what was always there, right? And I think it's the latter. It's just, I was just never really tested, right? And so... I think that's the hard thing. It, it kind of goes along with arrogance. We can sort of have this notion that we're more spiritual than we actually are. So I think, again, going back to the basics, just always thinking about God as a consuming fire, and I truly deserve his judgment for even what I did yesterday. And being able to come to a place of penitence, of, of repentance, remorse over that like I didn't love the people in my life the way I ought to I was far too selfish self-centered like to be able to come to a sincere repentance and then like that's that's really the key and I think the death of a lot of our spiritual life is we um, grow complacent and we just think yeah I'm, I'm good with God you know I read my Bible today I'm good you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a patient person because, but if you're not really being tested, then you can think that, right? So uh, I don't know if that fully answered the question, but yeah. Uh, for the single guys, um, uh, cultivate a sense, as uh, someone said, of growing closer to the Lord and not being so... Um, anticipatory of the next step of marriage. Don't be rushing into things of that nature. Uh, uh, concentrate on being a man of God. 
and that desire will grow and kindle, and then these other things, Lord willing, will come alongside that. Uh, specifically, you know, if you're in that context, if you're in, uh, soon to be engaged, or you are in that kind of context where you might get engaged, the same thing is there. Uh, I look at situations where uh, there might be marital strife and perhaps it might be a, a marriage separation or you're dealing with a, a man and woman who are seeking divorce. And the, the key really oftentimes in those situations, we'll get to the singleness in a bit, was each one of them, are they pursuing Christ in a way in which it would bring a life of joy and connection to the Lord where they would come together both as a married couple. So I think I see that as being a key for the singles, is are you pursuing uh, the Lord with joy and an eager expectation of, of getting stronger in that way? And these other things, I think, uh, become less important. I'm not saying that love uh, for another person is less important, but that's really the core, and that's really what begins with. That's one little nugget of something that is kind of a, a full picture. Mike? Yeah, it's a really good point. Right? Elder Adams says, you know, you're looking for a godly woman. Of course, you're looking for a godly woman. But Adam is saying, like, are you a godly man? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I appreciate that. So um, I certainly want to um, make sure that I defer to uh, elders of this church. My dating philosophy is kind of interesting, um, and and they could, you know, this is my opinion, so understand that. Um, I'm looking at the relationships in the Bible. Dating is not in there, but just singleness and married people. So I'm trying to try to, as much as I can, as I think through about dating, it's just hard to figure out. So my exhortation to single guys, to understanding this, the clarity of your relationship with a sister, she's a sister, until you come at the altar, right? At the altar. <laughs> that the Lord has made it clear that that's your wife. So you need to treat her as a sister in Christ until the clarity comes. So to sum it up, you know, my exhortation, and once again, I'm, I'm submitting myself to the elders. If the elders thinks that I'm wrong, it's fine. Um, I, I'm willing to retract what I'm saying. All that to say is I'm trying to push that concept to the point that what if this, the worst scenario, the worst scenario is that someday you're going to look at the husband of this girl and said, I was a true brother to your wife because I sought her growth in the Lord while we were dating. That's the worst scenario because you didn't get the girl. You get to look at her husband in the eye that I was right before God how I treated her because she's my sister in Christ. That'd be pretty cool. You know, because you, you, you set up all these rules and whatever, whatever that means. And in the day, she's a sister in Christ until you guys say, I do. So, you know. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I think the way that I, I've kind of like simplified that, 
that concept is basically the goal of dating is not marriage. The goal of dating is to edify one another. And so whether you get married or not, if you were an edifying influence, then it was successful. It was a successful relationship. That's, that's kind of how I think about it. Cool. All right, let me uh, switch it up a little bit. <clears throat> we can go back to more specific questions about different relationships is later if we'd like, parenting. But let me uh, switch it up to a theological question, and this was the one that was sent in. Um, so the question is, can you elaborate on 1 John 1.18, which says, this is 1 John 1.18, which says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So that's First John one eighteen. It's actually four eighteen. Oh, oh man, oh man! I'm not going to call this person out. You know, First John four eighteen, four eighteen. So specifically, how does this relate to the fear that comes with discipline? I said I wasn't gonna call this person out, but we might have we might need some clarity, huh? I, I mean, I'm I'm guessing it has to do with uh, like there's a sense where we should fear God. There's a sense where we should fear uh, discipline. Is that so? That's kind of how I'm taking the question. Like, how is that distinct here from that? Does the um, does the questioner want to elaborate, perhaps? Yeah. Boom. Thanks, Caesar. Um, yeah, so I think it's, uh, you know, there, there are biblical categories. So fear of the Lord is a category that's very important. It's the beginning of wisdom, right? Uh, and there's many other instances that uh, celebrate the fear of the Lord. Um, but it's important always to read something in the immediate context, and what the author intends in that immediate context. And so here, we're given the answer. Um, the, the context of fear is punishment. And you just have to think the larger context of First John is eternal life. It's salvation, right? And so even the immediate um, paragraph before was talking about the propitiation of our sins, right? It's talking about being, and then later it's talking about being born of, of God, right? Um, so that that's what sets the context. It's talking about the punishment of eternal judgment rather than the, um, the, dis, the sanctifying discipline of God uh, in, in the temporal life, right? And so the 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 point here then is that i would say it's parallel to romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation in christ jesus right so that so knowing that and then just you know all of chapter 8 it concludes therefore nothing uh will separate us from the love of god in christ jesus right that is what removes the fear right this this eternal, abiding, uh, abiding uh, unchanging love for us 
the God who predestined us, called us, he will glorify us, removes the fear of judgment, and that, that's what enables us to love. That's how I would answer that. Yeah. Mike, anything to add? <laughs> All right. Um, so let me ask one more question, and then uh, I'll open it up to the group. Anybody want to come up and ask a question? You can come up to this mic. So there was another question that came came in that has to do with parenting. And so you'd mentioned this, someone, a number of times. How do you – so let me see here. As you reflect on your failures or successes um, as a father – what insights or practical practical wisdom would you share with younger brethren on better loving your children? Yeah, one, one thing I had to learn um, as a parent of young children is that every child's a little different. Um, and I think also uh, the verse I shared, the Romans 2-4, uh, that kindness leads to repentance. Um, and that's the ultimate goal. It, it is not just... Because when I, when I started um, as, a, as a young father, like obedience was kind of a big issue for me. And if you read um, with Shepherding a Child's Heart, um, like that's kind of the big thing, you know, like, like teaching your, your children to be obedient. So like the phrase I'd always repeat with my kids, I'd be like, what does it mean to obey? And it's all the way, right away with a happy heart. Um, and like just always emphasizing that, but it got to this point where I became kind of um, too rigid and confused God's law with my law. Um, and then I sort of came into this like um, this uniform way of like spanking the kids. You know, it was sort of like whenever they made me angry, basically, I'd be like spanking them. And um so kind of going back to my original point, though, my first child was fine with that because she feared the spanking. And so she, she displayed the kind of the external change I was looking for, whereas my, my second child, the more I spanked, the angrier and defiant she got. And, um, and so it took me a while to figure out that um, I had to show her kindness first before I could lead her to repentance. Um, and so they're all, they're all a little different, you know. Um, so, but it is so challenging, that the discipline thing. You know, like we have to be consistent on that. We can't let things slide. At the same time, like it, it is, it's kindness that, that leads to repentance. So um, that's, that's one thing. Yeah, I would concur with that. That's uh, very well said. Reflecting on my own upbringing of my kids, I would have to say that I had a sensibility that I was going to correct everything wrong that happened with me as a kid. And so, or to craft an idealized way in which nothing... uh, I would have a, a produce an obedient child. And I, I really believe in many ways that the Lord helps, works directly with each person to kind of put you in situations to thwart your very own desires that are not godly in many ways. 
And so to that degree, what I would say is beware of being overly preoccupied with being a perfect parent that does everything correct and has to do everything the right way and to be okay with failure. Not okay, right? Because that means I'm just going to let things go, but to understand that there will be failure. The counsel for being kindness is so huge in that because you will fail, but not only that, your child will fail. And uh, you, I shouldn't say you, I was very critical. I was very critical, I see, because I wanted it to be a certain way. <laughs> what someone has said is it was so, it's so apropos for me. I expected Madison to be a 21-year-old person to understand the logic of why she was wrong and why she should listen to me. And so I used those logic exercises of criticality, and uh, I really tried to reason with her. But she's only like three or five, and she doesn't care, right? Um, and so if you keep doing that, in many ways, you violate Colossians 3, where you exasperate your children. And uh, I think in many ways that that's there for a reason. Fathers can really exasperate their children. And so the way they can is to be not kind and is to be critical and hyper, hyper aware of failure as opposed to a standard that you set up in your own heart. And I don't know if that really appropriately leads them to Christ. Uh, one way that really is good is being aware of your own weakness and asking for forgiveness and realizing I messed up. So those are some words that I would say. Mike? Um, so uh, Adam touched on it too. Like the two verses comes to mind, right? Don't, don't provoke them to anger. Don't exasperate them. Um, the question is, how do you love them? I mean, that's the only thing that I can understand is it's got to be the gospel, right? I mean, if you're a parent, you understand that your heart so desires for them to know the Lord. And then you just wrestle and figure out any ways you could bring the fact that your mistakes and their mistakes, we need Jesus Christ. I mean, just to shorten it up, like my answer is, it's got to be the gospel. So any ways that you could bring the gospel into light, um, that'd be great because that's the loving thing that you can do because, you know, we just, I was taught today that God's love is the one that we need to, we need to love. So there, it does, there's not a day I don't go by and pray for the salvation of my kids. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, anybody uh, want to come up to the mic, ask any additional questions? Scary mic. Um, you can always email me too. Um, I have another question. So failures, you kind of alluded to this in our last question. Um, I mean, we fail every day. Sometimes we fail, you know, horribly, and, you know, it, it, it could be very discouraging. What advice do you have um, in how to 
respond to our failures in a God-honoring biblical way. You know, in the context of love, I mean, we've, we've, we fail in, in loving whoever, um, whether we get angry or impatient or unkind or whatever it is. So what advice do you have on, on how we should respond to our failures in a God-honoring and biblical way? Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to practice uh, actually my answer here, which is, um, you know, James says to be slow to speak, um, quick to hear. And uh, I think it, even in that, that's, that's a way to avoid failure. Um, you know, just sometimes reacting uh, too quickly. Uh, I can definitely be guilty of that, where I jump to conclusions, especially with my kids. You know, I see, like the other day, my daughter, she's kind of like always on her phone these days, you know? And we have, we have all like the software, everything to do that, and we have time limits. And I'm like, what are you doing on your phone again? You know, I, I sort of had this like snarky, um, sort of condescending tone. She said, I'm reading my Bible. <laughs> I was like, I just walked out of the room. <laughs> you know, um, I I just I just judged her, right? Um, so just like that's part of the patience and the kindness, even in that approach, like not assuming the worst. Um, and you know, but even as I'm as I'm speaking here, like. I I can't tell you that I like I necessarily apologized to her in that moment, you know. And so it's even for me, it just just it's like there's like it's just it's so hard, you know, to actually uh, deal with that in a proper way. Um, and so, f- but the way that. Um, I deal with that, though, without going into desperation is, again, kind of the, the piece on First John is that perfect love dries out the fear. And so even knowing that, though I'm not the perfect father, I'm covered because I have a perfect father in heaven, you know. Um, and so I, I think, like the failure, it's always keeping our eyes on God um, and then once once I have that peace with God, then then it's easier to um, uh, to work that out in the horizontal relationship. But um, yeah, I can't I can't say that I've I figured that out. Personally, I use um, I'm always kind of geared in a kind of counseling context, so a lot of my answers are going to be like that. So. I think uh, failure is, uh, at least for a counselor, if I'm helping someone else, is a perfect avenue for determining why it was that you failed and how to change, right? And how the Lord might be, you never know exactly what the Lord might be doing, but it's an avenue for you to see how you might change and grow from that. So 
if you fail, there might be a way in which the Lord is acting in your life to reveal something that you need to change. And so uh, I, I use, I particularly think that's important because if we continue to fail in the same way, then obviously we're not getting the message. And the, the failure is, a, is an avenue to give God glory because you're turning to his wisdom instead of your own. Um, and so that's what I would have to say about failure. How are you actively changing to be able to turn to the Lord whereby that failure would not happen again? And so you see that in your relationships with your children, uh, with your wife, or even coworkers, or even in, in amongst the church, right? Uh, understand that failure. Don't let it just go by a, a simple, uh, you know, for your own part, just a simple, uh, oh, I'll just, I'm sorry, I, I, I did that. What, what is it about that that you could actively change so that um, you would be more loving the next time and that would not happen? So that would be my answer for failure, at least one of many. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you understand that the, the apology needs to come, right? And then I have to deal with my pride as am I going to, lower myself and admit to the fact that I failed. I guess it, it kind of echoed real quick that I think I've learned over the years that, and it's similar to your scenario, is that I need to verify my perspective, make sure that what I'm seeing is true instead of jump, jump to jump judgment. So I'm, I'm learning <laughs> to ask, oh, is this what happened? Is this what you're thinking? So that my you know, judgment is verified so that I don't dig myself in a hole again. <laughs> but it's it's hard, right? You don't want, you know, you know, a four-year-old guy apologizing to a three-year-old, right? You need to do it if you're wrong. <laughs> but it's it's hard. It's I mean, there's a practice in a lot of that. And so Can I add one more thing? Yeah. I kind of a simple way I try to think about it is the goal is not being right. The goal is to be righteous. So oftentimes, I think it's hard to admit failure if your goal is to be right. But it becomes easier when your goal is to be righteous. And how, how, how are you righteous? Only through the blood of Christ. You're justified through Christ, right? So to humble yourself under the gospel, and then from there comes the next step of sanctification to honor God. How do we honor God? We love him first, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the sum of the law, right? That's sum of righteousness. So um, that's kind of just a, like a memorable phrase that I use. Thanks, guys. All right. We're, uh, we have time for only one more question. So one came in. If two trains are traveling toward each other from what? Opposite directions at 25 miles per hour and 30, okay. That's not the real question. That was actually sent in. This is the real question. What steps, and this is by a, a math teacher actually. What steps can somebody take to remember that God is a consuming fire when they feel they have taken for granted the aspects that God is love? I'll read that again real quick. What steps can somebody take to remember that God is a consuming fire when they feel they have taken for granted the aspects that God is love? It's 
will be our, our final question. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and it, it leads me back to 1 John 4. And because there we see that God is love. And how is it that God reveals his love to us? We see that he reveals his love to us through Jesus Christ, right? It's through his, his son. And so there it focuses on the, the propitiation same thing in uh, John's gospel, right? There's uh, uh, the law was given through Moses, but, but grace came through Jesus Christ, right? Um, and I, we've been going through uh, John's gospel for, with our church, and we just uh, went through John 11. And I think that's a perfect example of, of how Jesus Christ perfectly balances those two, uh, that God is a consuming fire, and yet, at the same time, he's love. And it's that incident where, um, where Jesus weeps. You know, like, like kind of the, what is it? It's like the second shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Um, but it's very interesting when you go into the words there. It says that he, he was provoked. So in that moment, as everyone is crying around him and mourning, he's provoked. And then he wept. And so the word provoked, it could either mean he was provoked to sadness or it could mean he was provoked to anger. And how could he be provoked to anger that moment? I think it's two possible ways. One is at the lack of faith of these people here in the face of death. Or he's angry at death itself as the consequence of the devil's work and sin, right? And so, in any case, you see the son's anger towards sin, whether it's unbelief or the effect of sin, which is death, and yet, at the same time, you see his sympathy in weeping with Mary and, and those who are mourning, right? And so, in Christ, you see that he sympathizes with our weaknesses, while at the same time, he upholds the perfect holiness of, of God. So... Um, so the simple answer is to always, as Charles Spurgeon said, hear the cries of Calvary in your mind. And like, I literally try to do that, you know, when he said, you know, he's, he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? I literally try to hear that, and then I remember it's those two. It's because God is a consuming fire, and it's also because God so loved the world, he sent the son to pay for my sin. And so I've been, that wrath, the propitiation has been fulfilled, right? The, the wrath has been satisfied through Christ so that there's no longer any punishment. And then, and then we have that, that perfect uh, balance between, between the two. So, um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's how. So basically the answer is Jesus, right? Yeah. So uh, some of you might know this particular feeling or this uh, situation that whether you're hiking or you're in a cave or wherever it might be, but suddenly all sound disappears and it becomes strangely quiet. It's a little unsettling, right? As if you feel something's going to happen something bad, or you're wondering and you're looking around what's happening. So in my situations, that consuming fire aspect, I equate that to be the same. And what that is, is, is the rushing inflow of nothingness. 
And that frightens me because I think either that I will fall into that nothingness or wrath is coming. And so what happens in those situations, that nothingness, is I feel that I have distanced myself from God's word and his understanding. So the answer to that reawakening, that love of God, that, uh, that, that wrath, I hate to say wrathful, but it is a wrathful, but an understanding of that raging love that he has for you is to be drawn back to his word. And so uh, the answer that I have for that is just to read something, my favorite psalm. Many who I've talked to, they know it's Psalm 119. I'm going to read the eight verses because to read his word and to read the things of it and to see this psalmist's love for him and his weakness, I think reminds me so much that this psalmist understands suffering and he understands loneliness and he understands pain but he's driven again and again. It's not, not like he's perfect, but he understands that vacuousness that happens, but then he rushes back to the word and reminds himself even of the power of the word in his life. And I think that's restorative, um, and it brings joy. So I'm going to read from Psalm 119, um, beginning of verse 41, this stanza here. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of, your, of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts, and I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love, and I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So the answer is the word, right? But the answer is more than the word. It's being driven back to the word because he loves it and he understands the purpose of what it does for him. It connects him to the Lord and the delight comes from that and all these things are wrapped up in the power of God's word. So that's my answer to those who have lost that connection between loving God and understanding that there's a fearful aspect for God in their life. Be reawakened to God's word and, and read it with this kind of understanding. Uh, there's not much more I could add, but certainly I'm, I was struck in the light of First John that we went through today, um, in light of the gospel. So First John four ten starts. In this is love, not that we love God, that He loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And you stop there, you go, that's it. That's the gospel. The cool part about this is, as a reader, Nick's verse is crazy. The next word is beloved. The reason why I stopped there is because he said that this is love, that God gave his son to be propitiation for our sins. And this, this given love, the gospel, and he says, then he says to the reader, you are beloved. Uh, that indebtedness comes in the light of that word alone is insane. So my answer is, just, to me, is that we're in de- I'm indebted. So in light of that, I ought to love because consuming fire has passed because of his love, which it could have been pretty bad. But that word alone just kind of rocks my world, and I'm sure it's going to resonate in my head still more. So, 
All right. Very good. All right. Thanks, guys. That concludes our Q&A session. Let's give these fine gentlemen a round of applause. And um, gentlemen, that concludes our men's conference for the day. Um, so just uh, a few acknowledgments. Uh, again, Pastor Sungwon Jang, thank you so much for coming and ministering to us. And uh, Stephen Chang, thank you for leading us in uh, worship songs. And Gabo and Winston uh, in the background, AV. And uh, I don't know if uh, Ryan was here earlier, but that lunch was delicious. So thank you, Ryan Choi. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I hope that you've been refreshed um, and your love for God and others have been rejuvenated. So it doesn't end here, obviously. Right, we go back into our lives, we go back into the world, and we get to actually practice love, loving God and loving others. So let me pray, close off our time, and then we'll be done. Dear gracious God, thank you that we have hope in you. Thank you, Father, that um, even though uh, our lives ebb and flow with highs and lows, success and failures, you are still the same. You are our solid rock, our hope, our foundation. And you will complete the work that you've begun in us. Thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit through a relationship bought by the blood of Christ. Thank you that you first loved us. Thank you that you model what love is. Thank you that you are God that is not all talk. That you don't just sit on your throne and you govern, but you've come down with your people. and that you would even die for us. You are our king and our model, Lord Jesus. I pray, oh God, for myself and my brothers here today, that you would grow our love for you and our love for others. In Jesus Christ, holy and precious name, amen. All right, take care, guys.